you need different types of players for every role and some players are going to be the the winger scoring the tries and, and being the, the superstar or the, the forward kicking the goals and others are going to be the um, you know the tight head prop who's just there to bang their head against the wall all day and create space for somebody else to be the genius. Hello, I'm Andrew May and this is the NAB Business Fit Podcast. In this series, I'll be having conversations with experts in a range of fields including sport, well-being, psychology, business, science, and entertainment, delving into their world to find out what fuels them and to learn lessons that can be applied to running a small business. We'll chat about how they have adjusted to the new ways of working and share stories about adapting and navigating through challenging times. But first, a bit of background on me. I've been self-employed for over 25 years, from a lawn mowing business in Dubbo during high school, through to travelling the world as a fitness trainer with sporting teams, to now running workplace performance consultancy, Stride Stronger. Small business is in my veins. I've tried big business, but I keep coming back. I love small business. I'm a performance strategist and leadership coach. What that means is getting the best out of people in business and in life, and nothing Nothing gives me more fulfillment than seeing people reach their full potential and seeing people transform and become a more confident and comfortable version of themselves. And that is exactly why we have started this podcast. Okay, so let's get into it. We're living in a disrupted world. And today on the NAB Business Fit podcast, I'm talking to a master of change, transformation and adaptation. In swimming circles, he's known as the Superfish and King Kieran. To family, friends and colleagues, it's KP. Kieran Perkins is one of the most successful Australian sports people of all time. If I attempted to list all his achievements, this episode would literally be a 45-minute career achievement list. So let's look at some of the highlights. He's the winner of four Olympic medals, two gold, two silver. He's a father to three children, Harry, Georgia and Charlie. He's a former Young Australian of the Year, Starlight Children's Ambassador and a National Living Treasure. But for the past decade and a bit, he's worked in various roles at NAB, where he currently leads a team dedicated to supporting and focusing on the day-to-day needs of NAB's business and private bankers. Kieran Perkins, OAM, welcome to the NAB Business Fit Podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Andy. It's very nice to be here. I, I should start my day with you every day. I'd feel a whole lot better about things. Thank you. Well, that's a, it's a nice, it's a nice swift. We've got a rough agenda today, but let's talk about that. We used to start our day together once or twice a week a number of years ago when I was your fitness trainer, and um, yeah. I still remember we had a bet. Am I allowed to talk about the eight-week bet that we had? Please. So we had a bet because uh, you were a fish out of water when it came to running. And I said, okay, we're going to run and we're going to follow this nutrition program and do a bit of strength training. And you said, well, Andy, do I really have to do this? And I said, well, (laughs) let's make a bet. We can go out to lunch. So we had a lunch and you said, no, there's got to be more skin in the game. And you said to me, how well do you swim? And I said, as a swimmer, I make a really good runner. (laughs) So you got your goals, you hit all the the markers. And then after eight weeks, we swam from Shelley Beach to Manly, or you did. And I hopped in the water and it was like hopping in with Flip. And I, I can remember what you said, which I won't say in a public forum, but it was akin to "Welcome to my world." <laughs> yep, yep. It's, uh, it's fascinating how specialised we become in the uh, in the sporting and physical uh, universe, isn't it? It is. It is. So, look on that. How do you start your day now? And I will timestamp this. We are in COVID, um, but how, how are you starting your day now? And how do you start your day when you're not in lockdown? 
Yeah, look, this has been a really um, fascinating part of the challenge around COVID because, you know, I very quickly found myself um, drifting into that sort of getting up in the morning, grabbing a bowl of cereal on my way to the computer and spending then way too many hours just sitting in front of the screen, Zoom meetings and all that sort of stuff going on. So, um, I, I've got a rowing machine because I'm 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 uh, the the least athletic um, former athlete that you've ever met, as as you well know, and um, uh, get on that at, um, at least um, once a day if I can't get a walk in. Because for me, um, just just as a personal thing, um, out, outside and sunshine is really important to me. You know, I, I I know if I don't get the opportunity to go out and actually. Um, you know, see some green, um, listen to some birds, and and breathe a bit of fresh air. Um, my my uh, wealth, uh, health, and well being just deteriorates um, over time. So uh, historically, uh, try and get out for a walk every day. Um, but in this environment, uh, it's, it's it's alternating between the two. Uh, winter in Melbourne doesn't help either. When it's dark in the morning and dark at night, uh, you find yourself stuck indoors a little bit more. But uh, Go and live in Norway and Melbourne's beautiful. <laughs> Melbourne's tropical. Now, now, I'm going to pick you up. You're the least non-athletic former athlete. Now, like I, I look in my cupboard. I did a little bit of sport, right? <laughs> you did. You got two <laughs> Olympic gold medals and you're saying you're not athletic. Talk to me about that. Look, the, for me, you know, it's, it's actually always been about uh, pursuing goals and seeing how good I could get. And, you know, even as a kid growing up, I mean, we, in the 70s, we all did sport, right? Like that was just what you did. Um, And I stumbled upon swimming, not because I was necessarily good at it, but because it was an activity where I really enjoyed um, the progress, the daily progress, you know, getting in the pool, doing the training session, seeing what the times were like, seeing how I was eking forward. And that and that kept going, you know. I, I mean, I still remember these conversations with my coach, Mr. Crew, around, you know, well, you know, what what would you like to do next? Because you've just done this meet. What's the next one? And what's the next one? And having that kind of forward plan all the time. And and it, it honestly really was, you know, you wake up one morning and, oh, well, the next thing's the Olympics. Okay, let's see what happens there, you know, and and just kept kept that momentum going. So when I when I sort of got to the end of my swimming career, where I'd done the things I wanted to achieve there, um, it wasn't like I, I I find it very hard to just do exercise for exercise sake or just to you know lose weight or be fit. It's got to be about I'm trying to. There's a purpose. I'm achieving something. I'm doing something. I'm moving forward for some reason. Otherwise. Um, it's difficult for me to, to, to sort of engage with it long-term. Um, and I think, too, I probably burnt out all of my athletic competitive um, stuff as well. So even though, as you well know, if um, I'm doing it and um, someone with a bit of a smart mouth has a go at me about whether or not I can actually run, um, I'll, still, I'll still try. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, waking up in the morning, really focused and motivated on competition in sport, I've burned that candle. Now it's 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 you know my folk my now my focus in life of course is is work and and what I'm trying to achieve in my career. I think a lot of people would be surprised hearing that the refreshing hearing that that you know you don't wake up every morning and go right I'm going to clap my hands and do fifty push ups and <laughs> salute the sun and so you're not the I think you called me this one day and I, I don't know whether it was a takedown or whether it was a compliment it was hard to tell but an endorphin jock so you're not one of the endorphin jocks that you like i i, I feel in a, a number of people 
need to exercise probably physically as much as mentally but for you it's always been the goal so I, I can't imagine you going down and training in Melbourne pool and you know doing 50 meters and looking at the black line but if you had a goal would you would you put that in the calendar three months six months down the track have you thought about yeah. getting the togs on and the goggles out again not swimming no and that's that's probably been one of the the interesting elements and and you know, the side note is, is because uh, while I, I, I haven't come away from something injured or carrying problems, the reality is, is that there's a lot of wear and tear going on. And for me to swim consistently over a period of time, you know, I've got to get back into the physio regularly and, and do a lot of um, maintenance work, which um, I'm, I'm not up for at all. Um, but the, the last time I did get specifically engaged, and it is something in the back of my mind, um, I, rowing was a sport that I just found. Um, did a father-son thing at, at my, my boy's school. I don't know, it must have been um, 15, 16 years ago now. Um, and I loved it because it was, again, the technical challenge of can I do this well? Can I do this properly? And, and, and then once you sort of get into that, that activity, um, working on that more and more was really good. Um, I had some life issues and we moved and other things occurred which broke the cycle there. Um, but I do look down at the Yarra regularly and think to myself, I need to get back in the in a boat again. I need to need to do that. So um, I, I am actually at the moment, um, which is why the rowing machine's here, um, working to get myself to a point where if I got in the boat, I wouldn't sink it. And then once I get to that point, I can um, actually uh, find myself a nice little master's crew and um, have that commitment to to get back masters racing because I did did actually start doing that um, before uh, in Queensland before uh, we moved. It's amazing how much easier it is traveling with a group of people or training with a group of people. When you don't turn up, you get some really supportive messages <laughs> like, "Hey, are you okay? Like, you know, <laughs> did you have a sleep in? You must have needed it. You know, <laughs> we hope you're okay." <laughs> yeah, and 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 that motivation is so. It, it, well, that stimulation is so important, right? You know, I've I've always been one that that's felt that you know motivation's intrinsic, but that ex extrinsic stimulation to actually get off your butt and do something is so incredibly important and. Uh, 99.9% .9 of the time, once you're there, you're in it and you'll mm. you'll go hard. It's getting there, which can often often be the hardest point for people. And when you've got others that are relying on you, all of a sudden just turning up is the easy bit and, um, you know, then you can get into it. Well, as I said in the introduction, you're the master at adaptation and change. So um, when we catch up next time, I'm going to ask, how's the rowing going? Which crew are you <laughs> in and you know, how many mornings yeah. are you on the Yarra each week? So on that transformation and change, I've, I've never asked you this question. I like asking all of our guests. Around 15 years of age in year 10 is when you start asking that question or everyone starts saying, so Kieran, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, <laughs> my daughter asked me that uh, a year ago, dad, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? Mid 40s. So one, I think she doesn't think I've grown up. Two, I think it's a beautiful <laughs> question. But what did you tell your careers advisor in year 10? Um, so fascinatingly year 10 was actually when I started to um you know compete nationally and internationally and so um you know I I at that point was beginning to think that swimming was an option but didn't really believe that um it would be a career so for me back then um I was uh heavily into um uh not well math science um I wasn't wasn't incredibly strong in those things but um architecture and graphical drawing was was the the extension of that which i really connected to and um yeah at, at that point uh things were w winding their way towards architecture 
Well, swimming obviously chose you. Not a bad choice when you look back. Um, not oh, a bad yeah. career path. Uh, I think we learn more from our setbacks and more from the challenges. We grow more from that than we do from the easy times. That said, you made 92 look quite easy. For anyone who was watching back then, you, your first Olympic gold medal, it looked easy. You're in flow. It was just you know, it was obviously a, a great experience. 96 in Atlanta, uh, we all know the story. It looked hard. So let's go back there. You qualify in lane eight. For anyone who doesn't know swimming, lane eight, you, you scrape in. It's a bit like you know, table eight and the wedding singer, right? You know, you put the, <laughs> the, the, the people you, you need to invite to the wedding, yeah, we'll put them on, on table eight. You're in lane eight. What went through your mind the day, the night before? Oh, look, it, you know, it was it, an amazing roller coaster, right? It, you have those normal human reactions of, um, I guess, that kind of euphoric moment of, oh, she'll be right, don't worry. It was just a, you know, I'd had a bad heat that morning. Um, it, I've, I've blown out the cobwebs, as we say in sport, and, and uh, it, it'll all be good tomorrow. I'm, I'll, I'll be ready to go because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at that point through to that despair of um, my life's going to end. You know, I, 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 if I won't win, I won't be the Olympic champion. If I'm not the Olympic champion, I won't be um, loved and, and sponsored and, you know, mum will be uh, disappointed in me and all of these sort of consequences roll through. Um, so was this, and, sorry, over the day or is this like your roller coaster? Because a lot of people, yeah. I think, would think incorrectly that, Elite athletes, elite performers in every domain don't have the the negative voice, the the you know that inner oh, no, voice we yeah, talk yeah. about. That we're human. Everybody's got it right, and and it's a roller coaster. So for me, you know, if if I'm honest, it actually the the, the biggest hit happened in the in the heat, and and during the heat, I had that real sort of moment of despair, and it's it's kind of fascinating because to talk about it, it takes minutes. Um, the thing that happens in your brain is milliseconds, right? You, you sort of go from I'm, I'm in this, I'm focused, I'm driving, I'm pushing to, to, to hit the pace and hit the mark and then, oh, my God, it's over, you know, and all of this stuff just sort of floods over you. Um, and so it was a roller coaster, you know. I had I had these these moments of despair where I would um, sort of default back to um, compartmentalising and, and athletes, uh, we... we, we you're either naturally or you become very good at it if, if success is an important piece of your life, right, because you need to be able to set those thoughts aside and focus on what is in front of you that's most important to do. So I probably spent most of that 24 hours um, losing focus and descending into the despair um, and then sort of giving myself the mental slap and, no, no, I need to do this now and, and focusing on process and activity, which then allows you to sort of come back from that moment of, um, you know, bottoming out emotionally. But really the, 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 the absolute um, zenith point was um, about three hours out from the race, was getting a massage, laying there, freaking out. Like I, I, I descended into proper life's over um, irrational despair. Um, and as I was laying there starting to sweat and my heart's pouncing in my chest as I'm thinking about all these consequences, I got to that moment of you know, um, ang anger at myself for allowing this, this to occur because the one thing you, like the, one of the first things you learn when you're a young athlete is how to control your nerves, you know. So did you learn that yourself? And I'm thinking for a lot of our listeners who are going through challenging times and they're going through roller coasters daily. Yeah. And I think one refreshing, Kieran, that they hear that, you know, Olympic gold medalists go through this, you know, three hours before the race. but. So did, did you have tactics? So I know you've yeah, worked you know, a fair you practice it. with yeah, sports yeah. psychologists. So did you know what to do in that situation? 
look, absolutely. You know, n- none of these things are, um, you know, a superpower that you just happen to have that you don't understand. And if they are, it's not sustainable, right? So these sorts of things you learn and you practice and you practice and you learn. And so as a, as a little kid, you, you know, you have people saying to you when you clearly are panicking, calm down, focus on the process, work out what works for you. And then, and then you systemize it as you get older. And so my system was, I knew that if I, if I descended into that, that kind of nerves, I needed to distract myself, which, you know, I, I, as you well know, the science behind that, of course, is that if you allow yourself to get overwhelmed with adrenaline and, and, the, and the other stress hormones that you produce, um, your amygdala hijack happens, you, you're in panic mode, your brain's not rational anymore the and you start doing dumb stuff. Yeah, Mom's going to disown me, all that stuff you're thinking And you're thinking, thinking about ridiculous things, right? And so to move away from that, you need to find a way to stop the stress response so that you allow those um, hormones to metabolise and go away when you then get control of your brain again. And so for me, it was I knew, oh, process, if I get panicked, distract myself, go talk to someone, listen to some music, go for a walk, just do anything to break that, that focus on the moment of stress, the race, um, and then come back to it when you've got control again. And, and I actually got to that moment of you're freaking out, you feel like you're about to vomit. You know that if you allow yourself to be that stressed long for a period of time, you'll be exhausted because all that adrenaline in your system burns through an amazing amount of energy. You must have been pretty tired though because like if it's a, the 24 hours before or was it little was it periods where you'd panic and relax, panic and relax? You, you go through periods, yeah. And look, and, and, and this real sort of significant moment was about three hours out from the race. And again, like these are moments, right? Like I think when I was laying there, in all honesty, it was probably only five minutes of descending into this moment of panic where before I sort of did the mental slap and went, stop it, you can't be this nervous, you've got to get this under control. What did you do as a 10-year-old to get this under control? Oh, of course, distract yourself until you're calm. And so I did. I actually cut the physio session short went for a walk. I found a couple of guys that I know in the broadcast environment and just started talking to them about how their day was and what they were doing. And, you know, within a few minutes, I I could feel myself start to calm down. And once that conversation ended and I was clear and my brain was back and I was in control again, that was when I then started to go through the checklists of, are you ready? Have you prepared? Have you done all the work? Tick, 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 which then got me to the point of choice. And, And once I knew what the choice was, which is, of course, do I continue to be full of fear, uncertainty and doubt and guarantee a bad performance or do I do what I've always done as an athlete, which is stand on the blocks and give it my best and if I deliver my potential today and I know that when I go home tonight and look at myself in the mirror, I can say, yes, you did your best, the result's irrelevant then because I've tried my hardest, which is, you know, my whole swimming career had been built around that mentality. When I got to that moment of choice and I proactively made the choice about how I wanted to be, it was actually pretty easy after that because mm. I, I knew what I needed to do and how to do it because I'd done it a thousand times before and it, it yeah, just flowed from there. Well, the, the scoreboard shows that you kicked into gear in time. <clears throat> what was the feeling like that when you're standing on the dais, getting that gold medal, the flag comes down, they're playing the national anthem. Was it bliss? Was it just, oh, thank goodness. Like, did you just feel like melting? What, what, what emotion did you have? Oh, look, you know, the, 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 the most significant one is relief. 
And 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 look, to be honest, um, it's not relief. Thank God I won. It was relief that I I allowed myself to um, perform to my potential on the day. You know, it's it's a it's one of those really funny things where often often people will. Um, or the story makes it sound like, you know, I stood on the blocks and all of a sudden I developed some superpower of physicality that I didn't have before. Well, no, I mean, the, the, the months and years of training gives you your, your capacity. When you stand on the blocks, you've got a potential. 100% of it or less is what you use. And then the benchmark for me was always how close to the 100% I got. And I think because I knew that I'd, I'd got my brain under control, I'd not panicked, and I'd actually followed my race plan and delivered it, I was relieved that all of the work, all of the preparation, all of that time spent hadn't been wasted in me, you know, blowing up my performance through poor mentality uh, and mindset. And so the relief was actually that I had got to that point and delivered um, and then you have the euphoria of, oh, and I actually won. That's uh, a bit of all right, isn't it? I've defended my title, thank goodness. And, you know, the celebrations um, kind of overtake and roll from there. Um, and it is a whirlwind too, just sort of the reality of it. You know, you, you're sucked immediately into media interviews and conversations and um, doing all of that stuff. I, I actually don't think I slept for um, about 30 hours after that race because of all of the stuff that was going on that just dragged me through along with a, a little moment in um Centennial Park where um, that um, that incident with the, the pipe bomb happened. I was just around the corner when that occurred. So, you know, it was all just rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled into a big, big couple of days. You talk about moment of choice or moments of choice. I, I love that terminology. There was a moment of choice that happened the night before the final in the change rooms. You want to talk to me about that? You walk in. Uh, you know <laughs> you what know, I'm talking you, about? With, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know that story, do you? Yeah, look. You, um, I think you told me that over... Uh, Brecky one day. Uh, well, first of all, are you happy to share it in a public forum? The one with Daniel Kowalski. It's a, I think it's a great story of he says, she says, or he says, he says. So yeah, yeah. Perception's an amazing thing, right? And um, so this, you know, this incident. If I'm really honest, I probably didn't contemplate it um, at all after the fact until um, I read a, a, a book. A journalist, uh, Mike Coleman, wrote this book about Australia's 1500 history, and he interviewed all of us who were still living that had raced um, in this event at the Olympics. And, um, you know, he, he, he interviewed Dan Kowalski and I read Dan's retelling of, of Atlanta and what had occurred. And Dan talked about this moment where um, we, we were living in the dormitory at Georgia Tech Uni and um, shared bathroom facilities for everybody. And he was in the change rooms, shaving down, um, preparing for the race and, you um, he was in there with one of our one of our teammates, and I walked in. And Dan and I had always had a very good, respectful relationship. And um, you know, his retelling of the story was, you know, I walked in and I just sort of stopped and glared at him and didn't say anything, and then just turned around and left. And he he really struggled with that because he thought that this was a, you know, a moment of of um, sort of overbearing gamesmanship where I was trying to put him off or, or just be really passive aggressive in terms of the, you know, trying to break a competitor moment and, um, and, and which reading it freaked me out to be honest, because I thought, Oh my God, I can't believe that 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 happened because my version of the story was I've walked in and I've seen Dan and gone, Oh my God, it's Dan. He's going to beat me. What do I say? Oh my God, I don't know. Run. And I, I panicked and I left. Like, you know, so different the 
what's going on in the in, inside um, between the two of us and the um, you know the uh, the impact that that had on the and the ultimate outcome. But um, yeah, it was a it was a bit of a bit of a moment for me. Well, it's fascinating, isn't it? When you talk about storytelling, you're going, I, I, I can't look at him, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. look away, and he's like. Oh no, he's got it back. So then he spent a night restless, tossing and turning, thinking you've got it back, but you just you were too nervous <laughs> to even look at him. It's and uh I think in business that happens so often. The voice is won or lost in our head, isn't it? Like you're yeah. saying three hours before on the massage table, you know, you gave yourself a metaphorical slap, get this back together. We get better at that, I think, as we mature, going through yeah. challenging situations. So I think for anyone who is listening to this and really struggling. Uh, you know, get support around you, talk to other people, but know that everyone goes through this. I, I think the high performers over time just get better at sort of calibrating and acknowledging, hey, I've yeah. been here, I can draw on this. This is a moment of choice. I love that terminology. Uh, setbacks I mentioned before, Kieran, it's it's you know, part of life. Um, biggest challenge I've had in my life, and I, I talk about this openly, is a marriage breakdown. So I've had two young kids, went through marriage breakdown, and I really struggled because I'd been the performance guy, you know, I'd worked with athletes and businesses and done okay at school and study. And then suddenly I was a marriage failure. So I felt embarrassed about it. And I really, I struggled for about 18 months, as I've told you previously. Um, but I didn't play that out in the public eye. Mm. So I've, I've wanted to ask you this question. And how how did you go? Like mid-2012, you pick up the papers and it's plastered on every newspaper, every TV channel, every radio channel mm. with your public life. Like that must have been really, really tough. Oh, look, it, it's um, horrific really. Um, you know, I, I think the, you know, the, the the emotive process that anyone goes through in that that circumstance is, is devastating. But you're right, when you then see that everybody knows, you know, I, I think for most people you you... You could go through that walking through your day, assuming that that um, everyone around you isn't looking at you, sort of going, "Oh, you know, he's it, failure, marriage breakdown issues, etc." Whereas, the minute it appears in the paper, you're done. And 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 even the way that that happened, you know, um, I, I I had been doing an interview for a sponsor leading into the um, London Olympics, and um, there was somebody else in the room noticed I wasn't wearing my wedding ring. And that was wow. that was how that broke, you know. Like, and, and even on reflection, I think about it. You know, I, I, I like I could have just gotten up that morning and forgot to put it on, and that was the story that still would have happened. But regardless, you know, it's um, it was it was it was extremely difficult. And, and look, I think ultimately, though, for me, um, it didn't. I don't think I ever really overwhelmingly felt bad for myself. It was always actually the kids that 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 made it the hardest by far and away. You know, knowing that um, they were having to publicly live it out as well. You know, it wasn't something that was just kept within the family or within their tight circle of friends. You know, they had to turn up to school and everybody knew. Um, and uh, you know that that is that is indelible and and absolutely. Um, Will will forever be a um, a, re, a real um, and regrettable impact of of dealing with that. Well, the reality is, one in two marriages in Australia, almost one in two marriages, go through that, but it's not played in the public eye. Mm. I, I had what um, strides stronger neuropsychologist Dr. Nicola Gates called lily pads, which is a lovely term that. I didn't know at the time, but she's helped me understand what I did. I'd go from my apartment, because when you go from a house with a dog and kids and backyard to you know, no apartment, 
no kids, no dog. So I'd have an apartment. I had our office in Clarence Street. I had Machiavelli Cafe and I had the cafe underneath where we were in my bike. So I had about five places where I felt comfortable and secure. I could block out the world. Yeah. How do you do that? How do, how did you, you know, that uh, after a, especially a separation with kids, it takes a good 18 months to two years. So did you have lily pads or did you have a safe place? Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, there's there's all of, um, well, no, actually, I mean, on reflection, to be honest, again, because it's public, none of those for me, because none of them were ever um, completely independent. I mean, ho- like home was one, because you're on your, you're on your own, you've got that space. Um, if I'm honest, though, the only the only other one, and the one that that has always actually um, since I started riding been my space is 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 when I'm on my motorbike. Um, you know, uh, I, I, there is something about the the pulling on of the helmet that immediately disconnects me from um, the image of who I'm supposed to be, and makes me a part of a, a of an independent community that doesn't matter about any of that stuff, right? Like, and, and for anyone else that, you know, does ride a motorbike, you sort of know that, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll pull the helmet on and you'll go for a ride and the activity itself um, has an element of freedom and, um, uh, I mean, you're, you're never more connected to the environment when you're doing something that you know if you're not focused and concentrating and and being in, this, in the moment, you are at risk, life and limb, and therefore you are in the moment beautifully like I, I could talk for hours about what it gives but um you, do you still write now regularly yeah 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 absolutely um it's 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 probably you know when I think about my life's journey um you know if you compared me to the 20 I think I was only about 20 it was after Atlanta I got my license when I you know was willing enough to stand up to Mr Crew and say no no I'm going to because he always hated it um, but, uh, you know, it's the only thing that I've carried through my entire life in that regard that is mine. Um, mm. and you know, when I, and, and you know, you get to a cafe and you, you, you pull your helmet off and you'll start talking to people about the bike you're riding or their bike. doesn't matter if you're a CEO, if you're an athlete, if you're a plumber, if you're a teacher, like none of that exists you are a motorcyclist and that is, that is the most equitable and, and kind of inclusive space but you know for me helmet on I'm I'm I, no one knows who I am no one can um, make a judgment about the athlete or the personality or the public profile um, you're just another human being um, on a bike out for a ride and that that was that was probably the only truly um, you know grounding and soul fulfilling kind of mm. space uh, motorcycling is your lily pad. Do you have a uh, do you have a motorcycle pack, or do you do you call it a posse? Or um... <laughs> uh, I, spoken like a true non-rider. Um, <laughs> no, no, I don't. I've got images of uh, wild hogs with Tim Allen, you know, riding around terrorizing you know, on your Harley Davidson. So you, it's a it's a solo sport for you. It, look, it is, and and it's it's. Um... In, in the context of, you know, been living in Melbourne for three and a half years, find myself um, outside of work, uh, you know, generally just stealing a ride when I can as opposed to um, having built up a, a, a cohort. I, I I've certainly have had that and there are guys that, um, mates who, you know, will share photos or um, conversation about good rides that we've had. But, um, yeah, the activity itself at the moment is uh, is a solo for me. 
did motorcycle posse sound as bad as it felt coming out of my it did yes it did it did well, you, don't, you don't need to throw that out there ever again right no. okay I'll I'll, I'll 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 talk to the producer about that one because <laughs> that was all me um something i do know a little bit more about and you've excelled in is career transition so you now are at nab an executive at nab how did you make the transition i think some of the loops i can see obviously you you haven't focused on the outcome so the outcome wasn't to win an olympic medal and you and mr carew and i want to come back to why you're calling mr carew in a moment i love that um but it was always about improving being the best you could be you know focusing on the turn focusing on a longer stroke getting you know strength through the mid torso did that just happen naturally when you went into the world of banking? Because it, it's a very different world. A lot of people think elite athletes can just jump into the corporate world. More don't survive than do because identity as well changes totally. So you know, yeah. let's go back. When you started at banking, what did you do? Yeah, so look, um, th- there's probably actually a, a bit in the middle, which is, which is worth mentioning, because when I retired from swimming, I, I, I went into um, my own business consulting um, with, a, with a business partner. And you know, fortunately for me, in some respects, that was a, a sort of eight or nine year period where I got to actually learn a little bit about myself and my value, um, go through the trauma of, um, you know, life after sport uh, in a, in a um, well, in an environment where it was just the two of us and, you know, you could kind of have your breakdowns and not necessarily, um, you know, have it publicly occur in an office space, et cetera. So, you know, that eight, eight or nine years was really pivotal because I do think in all honesty, if I'd have gone straight into the banking corporate world, straight from the pool, um, it, it wouldn't have gone as well. Mm. Um, but in terms of, you know, when I did arrive, look, you're right, the, the, the culture is, is probably the biggest thing that you you come up against because when you're in sport, it is an entirely unnatural cultural place, right? You're surrounded by people who are all as equally passionate about self-improvement and growth and success. Um, and, and even the peripheral people like your physio or your dietitian or your coach, they're all there and their sole purpose in engaging with you is to help you get the best out of yourself. So the, the, the politics around, you know, uh, well, the politics are very different because, you know, there is that common goal and that common forward movement and, and you've got a, a big support network around you all of the time, which is equally aligned to help with the outcome. You move into the corporate environment and you've got a whole gamut of people, right, those who are just there for a paycheck and actually do not care about the company or its outcomes right through to, you know, those people who would sell their 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 and their children's soul to be successful and kind of everything else in between. Um, and, and and if I'm honest, initially it was it was still very difficult to deal with that recognition point of, oh, you mean actually everybody's not here for the business to be successful? Like everybody's not really committed for the company as opposed to their own agenda. And and what what helped me bring that back? I, I you know sort of thinking through the two big things. One was. Um, you know, actually getting to that that moment of sport analogy and recognising that, you know, you need different types of players for every role and some players are going to be the, you know, the winger scoring the tries and, and being the, the superstar or, the you know, the forward kicking the goals and others are going to be the, um, you know, the tight head prop who's just there to bang their head against the wall all day and create space for somebody else to be the genius, right? So, um, you know understanding the role you play and how that connects to you and, and and as a leader how you know that person how you can get the best out of that person to fulfill them but also fulfill the company 
was a thing I've worked on and developed. Um, do you like being a striker or do you like being the tight head prop? Uh, tight head prop. Um, and I think because, um, you know, thinking about the process and how we get there and doing the work every day is more interesting to me than going, ta-da, look how much of a genius I am. Um, but, um, you know, the, 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 the other big transitional thing that happened for me, and I think this is coming back to your comment about how a lot of athletes actually don't make it, one of the things that was really fascinating to watch was when I started banking, I actually went into it just naturally with a curiosity to learn. You know, I didn't turn up and with this mindset of, hey, I'm an Olympic gold medalist and I've been really successful and therefore you should all just assume that I should be the CEO and, you, you know, you're going to um, learn from my geniusness. Um, it, was, it was more a case of, right, I want to get good at this. What do I need to do to get good? Well, I need to learn the job. Um, and, and I've had this conversation with a lot of athletes um, and, 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 you know, where they, where the ones that haven't worked that out yet and sort of think, oh, but I've got all this value and skill and lessons from life and sport and I, I'm successful and high profile and therefore I should be in, in the business world. I'll often ask them, you know, like, so you're, you've been a wallaby. Um, if you were going to go and play AFL, what would you do? Oh, well, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go and start at a, at a grade level and, you know, get a skills coach and learn how to how to kick and throw, uh, kick and pass, and and you know, and they'll easily talk about all the, the the core base level skills that they need to develop and learn and grow, with an expectation that there'd be a, a real fly up. That you know, once I got the skill, I'm going to fly through this because I've got everything else that makes me likely to be more successful. But they don't expect to just walk straight on to you know the starting team for the Lions day one without even having picked up a ball, but they mm. do in business. Like It's interesting, isn't it? Even on. when you explain that, you can see why a lot of athletes struggle. Yeah. Hi, we hope you have been enjoying this podcast so far. Don't forget that we have plenty more podcasts and content just like this on NAB Business Fit. Go to www.nab.com.au forward slash business fit for more content to support your physical and psychological well-being and to help you take care of business. Um, are you familiar with the Buddhist word shoshin? Uh, no. It's a Buddhist word that explains beginner's mind. And mm -hmm. when you look at a, a lot of high performers, there's a thread. And when I see a high performer go from one vocation or career to the next, it's starting with that beginner's mind, not, mm -hmm. hey, I'm Olympic gold medals yeah. or I've done this. It's, hey, how do I start at the, at the base level? That's hard for some people. There's a thing mm -hmm. called ego, which is also related <laughs> to role identity. So this might sound like an odd question if it wasn't in context, but I think now is a good time to ask it. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Wow, geez, we're, we're getting that deep. Um, I wasn't going to actually. I just, yeah. that, just no, 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 that just dawned on me. Like, uh, what what is your role identity? Like, I'm not talking. What do you see physically and flexible? No, no, no. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, look, I think at this point now, um, I see like like I, I I do see the job more than I should, and I and I, I can reflect on that and say that that's not probably really what. You, you, you should be anchored into, but, you know, I, I, I see the job. So I see myself um, um, as an executive and a leader and somebody who um, deeply believes that my job is to lift others and for the, for the business to then therefore be successful. 
Um, I still see the um, the kid. You know, I think um, one of one of the things that I I'm, I've got a lot more comfortable with as I've got older is that um, I, I I I am actually capable of being very immature and 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 a child, and that's okay. It's called playful now. It's it's a it's right, a okay. characteristic <laughs> we want people to have to have juvenescence. So it is. It's, yeah, it's right. being playful. Yeah. So good. You and, see the kid. Yep. What yep, else? And, and I've got that. And 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 I I um yep. And I, and I'm and I'm comfortable with that. However, I struggle with um bringing it to work. And, and one of the things that I know that I I'm also um I see when I look in the mirror is I am I am hard to get to know. Um, I think my years of public persona have made me quite, um, well, I was going to say defensive, that may, it's an action. I, I've got, I've, I have defences and, and those defences can be quite hard for people to get through and, and I can play the role and I know I, I'm someone who plays the role. I step into the space that I need to step into to do the work and, and, and play the part that I need to Um but I'm not someone who's actually really good at, you know, carving off bits of my soul and giving them to other people. And that's, uh, you know, that's that's something that I recognise and see. Is it something you want to change? Um, I think that it is um, because I see people who are good at that or who naturally have that and I see that they are far, well, they, they seem to be far more comfortable with themselves and their relationships than, um, you know, someone like myself who is, who is far more guarded in that regard. And so my, my circle, like the, the people that I'm, I, I can truly let go with is, is a much smaller cohort than it would be otherwise. And I think, you know, you, you talked earlier about the challenge of, of being in business and, and being a business leader. One of the challenges is that it's lonely and it is hard to find um, comfort in, in opening up and talking to people about the problems or the challenges or the risks or the concerns or the joys um, that you have and not be concerned about oh, what perception might I create or what, what, could that, what could someone interpret that as that might, you know, make them think differently about me or what I want from them or the business goals or whatever else that you might be concerned about and the consequence that whole, hangs in there. Um, and, and being able to let go of that and find that, that you know, capacity to, to build a broader cohort of people that you can actually be completely open and honest with and not at all be worried about the impact or consequences is um, uh, that would be nice to have and make, it, make life a bit easier, I think. Maybe more of an open-ended question, but what would more playful at work look like? for you and what do you think the response would be and playful doesn't mean you come into nab on a unicycle juggling the clown what would playful look like or more playful um look i think more playful would would look like um you know more more personally connected and engaged and 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 um I mean, in corporate universe, we use the word vulnerable leadership a lot these days. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to provide vulnerability. I, and, you know, I, I struggle with the def, 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 definition and, vis, and visualising that. Well, I think but it's because some leaders have read Brené Brown. And, and I know I'm a big fan of Brené Brown, but I've seen some leaders 
who will stand up on stage or now behind a screen and say, I'm about to be vulnerable. It's not, no, 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 don't tell people you're about to be vulnerable, vulnerable, be vulnerable, you know, show yeah. some of yourself. Yeah. And and for me, it's, it is it is that showing myself, you know, like I, I, I'm actually naturally quite self-deprecating, um, you know, and I think... Uh, I've I've got a lot more of a sense of humour than I probably than I, I show, and um, actually bringing that out and being willing to share and talk more about the the things that are meaningful to me and what goes on, um, you know that I know that would make me a better leader because people don't want to be um, led by someone that 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 is this you know autocratic person on a pedestal that they can't. They, they don't understand or they can't can't see humanly um, being able to actually build that connection um, makes makes leadership much more of a um, you know um, I don't know a gift and and you know the irony in in saying all that for me is that actually as a leader and this is probably something also that you know I look in the mirror and struggle with is um, I, I, I I'm not the person who thinks that I, that has all the answers and therefore everyone around me just needs to acquiesce and do what I say. I actually expect that, you know, the people around me are far better at what they do than I could ever possibly be. And my job is not to be the person that, that is in control with the answers. My, per, my job is to bring them up and get them to find themselves and bring that out and, and be more of that coach and support. Um, so, you know, I, I've, I've always found the hierarchy in a in a big corporate a difficult thing to engage with, and and you know it, it's you get caught in it, and and, and you know um, you, you've got to navigate it. But my natural style is that I'm no better than anyone else. I'm no important than anyone else. I I have no right to anything than anyone else. We're all in this together. Let's let's uplift and move forward, and and um, you know and be a part of that. And if I could break down that defence more that I, that I know that I've got, that would be easier to show and it would be easier to um, work through. You've got some good gags. I've, I've heard you pull out some good dad <laughs> jokes over the years. <laughs> I have my moments. Uh, you know, the, 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 the wall's not impenetrable and uh, usually when I've got somebody else opposite me who's uh, even more playful, it's easy to uh, just step, dip a toe in every now and again. And kids do that as well. I find my kids keep you young. Like yeah, that question I said, Michaela said, Dad, what do you want to do when you grow up? It's just a beautiful, <laughs> youthful disposition. You know, yeah. One, I don't actually think you're grown up, but two, you know, if we're around our age, mid-ish 40s, let's make, take off yeah. a couple of years. You. And, um, yeah. we're, we're not even halfway there. So if you think we're going to have a 100-year life, it's pretty exciting to think you know, can reinvent and do anything mm. from 50, 60, 70 onwards. But, um, you, when you talk about your kids, you light up. Like you can just see, and you're protective and understanding with what was played out in the public domain. But what have your kids taught you? Oh, heaps. I mean, I think the um, that 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 playfulness and that ability to be vulnerable is certainly something that that they they've taught and drawn out in me. Um, I think that I became. Uh, that becomes the right word, but be, being curious and 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 having that capacity to look at things with with fresh eyes all the time now you know and it's interesting because my kids are older right like my george is 22 harry's 21 um i can't know, believe that i yeah, think yeah, when yeah, i no, first met you you're yeah, dropping off primary school and some even at school yeah yeah they're adults you know so um so that 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 journey is has, has obviously moved but i you know i definitely remember that that looking at things um without um 
judgment. Mm. Uh, I, I think one thing that kids are incredible at is is not judging and just accepting people for who they are and circumstances for what they are and navigating it with that 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 light clarity that you know um, here's here's a thing to learn from or to explore or to understand, but absolutely not judging. Um, and cynicism and all that stuff sort of flows on from there. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, and I'll probably throw this this one on Georgia, my oldest. You know, she, um, she, she constantly amazes me with the woman she's become because, um, you know, I think people always say to me, oh, well, are any of your kids going to be Olympians or do they do sport? And, and that was not their life. That was not their choice. Um, and, and, you know, if, if you knew, knew me and um, their mother well, you know, it's no surprise that that wasn't the case. However, Georgia has never relied, like probably from grade 10, 11 for her, has, has not relied on anybody else and has known what she's wanted and worked far, hard for it. You know, she's not a, she's not a particularly gifted or, or naturally talented human. She's a worker and she's always known that about herself and accepted it and done it. And I look at her and I, and I see the way she, she attacks her own life plan and what she wants to deliver, um, and it's inspiring. And, and, you know, it's ironic because I kind of understand, of course, that that's what allowed me to get to where I got to in my life. My life was public and so, therefore, we automatically assume that there's some kind of special element to it. But, in fact, you know, any, any, anybody that... that strives to be the best they can be and push themselves to to, to grow and learn and, and has a plan to, to to get to where they want to get to in life is um is inspirational and she she definitely is that for me mm, lovely uh, you talk about mr carew i don't think i've ever heard you call him his christian name john <laughs> uh, and you talk about leadership lessons you know we learn a lot as kids so you're learning from your kids as much as they're learning from you uh, but talk to me about that, Mr. Carew, the respect that you two had. It was obviously it was a two-way two-way respect. Oh, look, absolutely. I think um, you know the mark that I often I often pull out in that is that you know I was I was a nine-year-old um, when I started training with Mr. Carew, and I was a twenty-eight-year-old father of two when I finished after three mm. Olympics and all the stuff we did. Um, and for anybody, think about being in a relationship in a pressured environment like that with someone for that long. And imagine how that relationship would go, you know. Like we had our ups and downs. We had our fights. We had our moments of euphoria. Um, but it worked because we had um, a high level of trust and respect that was constantly worked on. You know, there was there, there was a number of pivotal moments in our, our um, career and relationship where, you know, he, he sat me down and we had to have the hard conversation um, there was times when, um, you know, we each behaved inappropriately and needed to be reminded of and navigate through that. But I think the thing that was extraordinary is, is that there was that, 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 that reinforcement of, of the trust and respect and because of that it, it allowed us to play, play the, 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 the circumstance or the, the game and not the person. Like, it, it, you know, you move through an environment like that and it never became personal like like you know the failures were never personal the successes were never personal it was always uh we are doing this together and we are you know working on this and if it didn't go well or there was a problem 
what what's going wrong and what are we going to do about doing it better? And I think, you know, he, he, um, yeah, I mean, he was just extraordinary. And, and again, you know, the learning piece, like you're talking about a guy who um, had, you know, by the time he started coaching me, had had a decades-long career, had done lots of different things, um, had coached world record holders, um, had a successful learn-to-swim business and really, um, you know, you could have absolutely seen him and gone, you deserve to just sit back and enjoy life. But here's a guy who every day got up at four in the morning and turned up at the pool with a program and a plan and a direction and a leadership and all of that stuff and 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 drove that and drove that through us. And, and I, I even remember, because um, he's passed away now, but he, he had a stroke about a year before he died. And, like, I'll never forget, they, they brought him home and he was in a, um, like, a hospital bed at home, parked in front of the TV watching AFL which he didn't really like, but he was watching it because he knew he could learn something. He knew that he could see in the physical performance and the way the coaches were coaching the game and the, 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 the way the environment was, was playing out, that he could learn something that, that might be valuable for him to then bring to the swimming pool and, and for the athletes that he was coaching at that time. Beginner's mind, even at that age, right? Oh, look, you know, just extraordinary. Yeah. And that... And that was it. So, look, that relationship was strong. It will always be Mr. Crew. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I guess in some ways, not that I, I probably consciously think about it too much, but as a leader and as um, somebody who, you know, wants to be um, part of a successful business and, and team environment, you know, if I can, if I can be half the um, um, coach that he was and, and half the custodian of people's careers that he was, I'll... I'll um, I'll, I'll be very proud. It's a beautiful sentiment. And who, who else has had a significant impact on your life? And it could even be, it doesn't have to be a person. It could be a, a book, a poem, a play, a thing. Yeah, look, I've, I've always been somebody who um, doesn't necessarily attach to an individual person because I think, again, you know, you learn from everybody, right? Like I, um, so motorcyclist, you know, I watch Valentino Rossi and what he's done in his career, and it's just extraordinary. Um, you know, I remember, you know, watching Greg Norman and, and how he conducted himself in, in the defeats that he had as much as the wins. Um, you know, remember, being a Queenslander, remember these incredible moments of state of origin victories or, or moments in state of origin where, you, you had know, to mention the Queensland. So it's gone so well until now. I don't well, know if- you know, there's a balance in life of, of wins and losses. And when the winds skew so hard to your side, you've got to bring those forward, mate. You understand. Um, so, you know, so all of these things happen. And, and in business, the same, you know, you see leaders and you think, man, like what a perspective, what an attitude, what a view. How, how does that how, how, how does that person have that context in that way? Um, so all of those, like there's, there's all of those things that have always been meaningful to me and, and still, you know, capture me and inspire me at times. You know, I'm an absolute sook. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll watch a good, uh, a good, you know, come from behind sports movie or, uh, you know, see someone achieve something and it'll still bring a tear. Um, and, uh, but, but what, what probably embeds me in all of that and it's something that, you know, I, um, wasn't until we started talking about doing this that it, that it sort of hit me again, you know. Um, I uh, When I was, I reckon, maybe 11 or 12, like I was pretty young still, my dad, who had been a corporate guy, 
went into small business for himself um, and, uh, you know, was always very disciplined about how you get somewhere and how you achieve um, the goals that you set out in life. He actually framed and stuck this poem on the wall in my bedroom. Um, and, I mean, I remember being little at the time and just thinking, oh, yeah, whatever, Dad, sure, what's that there for? But, you know, it, it, it actually became this, this kind of mantra that I, that I held on to. And it's, um, it's, a, a, it's an old poem. It's from the early 1900s by a guy, Walter D. Wintle, called Thinking. And, um, you know, I, I, I... Do you want to give us a verse? Um, I, 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 not off the top of my head, but I can certainly um, track it down in here and um, um, because it is something that um, hasn't got far away from, um, from me in, uh, in life, as it were. Um, and and I, I, I don't think I can do the verse. Can I do the whole thing? Yeah, And I appreciate and reinforce... Um, 1905, um, so there's, there's, a, there's a gender context here which is interesting, but that's okay. Um, if you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you like to win but think you can't, it's almost certain you won't. If you think you'll lose, you're lost. For out in the world we find success begins with a fellow's will. It's all in a state of mind. If you think you are outclassed, you are. You've got to think high to rise. You've got to be sure of yourself before you can ever win a prize. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster person, but sooner or later the person who ends is the person who thinks they can. And, you know... 115 I, years ago, wise words. Wise words. And the thing that I, I guess I probably, amongst everything in that that's powerful and valuable, probably the thing that actually, um, you know, anchors me the most in that, and, 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 it, and it's been... And I'm, you know, I'm extraordinarily grateful for the life that I've had. Um, but the thing that it anchors me the most in is that it doesn't matter who you're talking to, whether they are, you know, uh, the CEO of one of the largest companies in the world or an inventor of something that's changed life, a prime minister, a, a royalty, um, or the the person that you know is picking up your garbage. Every human being has got value and um, has that in them and and being able to see and find that and not be overawed by someone because they might have a public perception or persona that makes you think that they're special or different actually they're not um they've just done it and they've believed that poem in themselves and pushed themselves to see what they could achieve in life not because they've got some you know they haven't been hit with gamma radiation or some other silly superpower thing they're a human being it's just an attitude and that that's extraordinary. Wise words now. We date stamp at time of this recording. It is the second wave of coronavirus in Melbourne. You're still in stage four lockdown. You mentioned earlier that good athletes or good high performers have an ability to compartmentalize. So let's compartmentalize your life into a few blocks. There's the swimmer. There's the small business owner. There's the corporate guy. And there's the father, community member, um, friend, and you were funnier than you make out as well, <laughs> the, the playful guy. If you could compound all that and give a lesson to business owners, especially small business owners right now, what would your advice be? Uh, look, it's a good question. Um, I think the thing that, um, I, well, maybe instead of um, trying to be overwhelmed by the, what advice would I give the universe, maybe the advice I give myself um, is, is possibly uh, a little bit more um, relevant. Um, 
you know, there are more days than not at the moment where I wake up in stage four lockdown and think, man, again, like I, 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 I've had enough. Um, and I remind myself that uh, all of these things that we experience or go through are, are moments in time. And the, the, the greatest power that human beings have and that I have is that it's not what's happening to me that's actually the most important thing. It's what I'm doing about it that matters the most. And um, while I may not like the lockdown or the environment or that sense of Groundhog Day, what I do know is is that um, I actually have things to do. And right now today, some of those really important things need my attention and focus. And if I take control of those things I own and I take control of those activities that I need to do um, and I keep um, recognising you know, what it is that I am contributing, um, there will be a moment in the future, absolutely 100% guaranteed, not if, not maybe, guaranteed there will be a moment in the future where I will be standing somewhere lovely that isn't in the four walls of my apartment and I'll look back on this and think, man, that was hard, but you know what? I've learned some amazing things about myself and my, my family and my friends and my, my team and the people around me. Um, and that, that goes in the bank as being part of the power I've got for whatever comes in the future. And I need to remember and hold on to those things because um, they will get you through and will give you the power to do the things that um, you know you can to um, help you thrive and survive regardless of the challenge that's uh, facing you. There's a real thread that comes through talking to you today, and it is that control what I can, you know, learn from the situation. You mentioned earlier the science around this, the neuroscience. We you know, get in that front part of the brain where we're strategic, we make long-term decision make long-term decisions. The amygdala, it's the what young kids have. You know, it's a disaster. You know, no one played <laughs> with me today at play lunch. You know? <laughs> the rest of my life has changed. But there is a thread, isn't there? Are you aware of that? Have you become yeah. more aware of that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As, as, I've, as I've got older and worked and, and become more self-aware, you know, it's actually a funny thing. Like if only I'd had all of that self-awareness as a young man, imagine what I could have actually achieved, you know, um, as we all, all experienced. You did okay, but, Kieran. You did okay. I, I, yeah, I did okay. Thank you. Um, but did you, Do you acknowledge that? Because like, you often brush that off. Is that humility or do you, again, when you look at yourself, you don't look at yourself as the athlete now, it's the corporate, you sort of you've moved on the identity or can you look back at that and go, like, I'm, I'm bloody proud of what I've achieved? Um, uh, kind of, uh, you know, it, it, look, it, it's, it's, it is, it's fascinating what you, what you um, learn about yourself, right? And one of the things in sport that you do is move forward because you have an event and an outcome occurs. You'll celebrate your success, but you'll actually focus more on what went wrong not because you're kicking yourself in the head or going, I'm bad. It's what am I going to do better next time? And, you know, like I often talk to people when you see a swimmer come out of the pool and they've finished with all of the media and, and you know, drug tests, whatever, they'll have a conversation with their coach. Like it's the first person that they actually purposefully seek out. And that conversation consists of what went well, what went poorly, what are we going to do better next time? And from that moment forward, the only thing you focus on is what we're doing to be better next time. Mm. I've never watched any of my races and not because I'm not proud of them or I don't. You've never watched one, really? 
only when I'm doing something like this and someone makes me, um, you know, because I was there. I know what happens and, mm. you know, I'm, I, and, and don't get me wrong, deeply proud of it, but um, I, I tend to be far more forward-focused and I'm, I'm more interested in what I'm doing now or where I'm going than thinking about that history too much. So, um, so yeah, look, that I know that thread strings through. The self-awareness that comes with it for me is that um, it gives me comfort knowing that I do actually have power. And I think for all of us, especially in times like this where you are in lockdown and you've got government telling you you're not allowed to go outside unless it's for X reasons and, you know, like as, as autonomous human beings, as adults, you, you know, you do get to a point in your life where no one tells you what to do, but all of a sudden we're being told in a very deeply personal way what to do and it's, it's, it can be quite confronting and damaging. Um, and so for me always drawing it back to, well, what do I own and control and what are the things that I can influence or change and how do I make sure that, you know, when it's all said and done um, and I do look at myself in the mirror, am I proud that I've given it my best shot and done what I should have done or is there things that I need to reflect on and do better for next time? Um, and that that conversation ultimately ends up being far more important to me and 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 grounding for me than um you know remembering distant days past and thinking i was awesome for it any psychologist listening to this or clark perry your former business partner would just be thinking this is a great example of self-efficacy the psychology construct that you have the power to influence the world around you and i think that's a really really powerful lesson for where we are right now and also for where we are in all times of our life. There's always ups and downs. Yeah. I've thoroughly enjoyed today. I've found out a fair bit about you today, a few new <laughs> things I didn't know. Um, you've been honest. You've been open. Before we go, is there anything that you would have liked me to ask you or is there anything you want to ask me? So now that's a fascinating question. Um, it's a bit like a, oh, a, a university, remember? Yeah, you know, you yeah, have, yeah, are there yeah. any questions, Kieran? And you're, yeah. oh, that's a great question. Yeah, and I'm, I'm usually the person that's asking, are there any questions as opposed to uh, the other way around? But, yeah, actually, I do have a question I wanted to ask of you, actually, considering the, the people that we're hoping will see this who, you know, being small business owners probably often feel like they're alone and, and having to deal with change and challenge, whether that, you know, be something massive like coronavirus or even just, you know, shifting consumer behaviour or products, et cetera. You know, you've, you've gone from the athletic career, you've gone into small business, you've, you've adapted and changed that numerous times along the way, become an employee and then gone back to, to, to you know, focusing on your own business again. I mean, like how, how have you adapted to that change and, and reimagined yourself and your, your business and, and the environment that you've dealt with? It's a really good question. I think you should have your own podcast. <laughs> um, first, uh, I, I dabbled in athletics, so let's be um, clear about that. You had an athletic career. I, I learned a lot from sport. What, what have I done? Um, interesting reflecting on that. I didn't give up. Uh, my accountant uh, told me in the middle of April that I probably should pull the roller door down. I've got five staff, a couple of consultants, so they've all got families. And I just wasn't going to give up because uh, around April, a time of recording, Every company was saying, no, no, no. So we lost 90% of revenue overnight, like literally from Monday 15th of March when Morrison said, WFH, you know, work from home. So 
first of all, I just sat back and I, I didn't react straight away, but I just thought, what can we do? I, I don't, uh, I think the word pivot, every time someone uses the word pivot, we should put a dollar in the jar. We did a digital backflip. You know, at my previous business was doing yeah. keynote presentations, doing high-end leadership programs and doing coaching. That was all one-on-one. Um, thankfully, we'd been working in technology, I think, with a digital platform, Kieran. You go from being really bad you know, to bad to okay. I think now we're good and wanting to get to that next level of, of being very good. So first one uh, is just that tenacity. The second one was, hey, what can we do? Let's be resourceful. And the third one, I've got to give credit to my team. Now, you know, you talk about lessons learned along the way. You have a, a team around you. It makes a massive difference. And I, I sat down and said to my team, look, I've been told, I was transparent, like our accountant said we should close. We've got a couple of weeks. What do you think? And each of them said, no, let's go. Let's have a crack. And that shared pressure has formed our team, has given a strength and a resilience that you can't get in a textbook or an offsite. Hey, let's mm. walk on hot coals, you know. <laughs> let's build yeah. a go-kart. Now you get on better with Kieran. <laughs> um, and, and I think underneath all that is uh, some of the stuff you've said today as well is sticking your hand up and being authentic. And I think if this had happened to me five, especially 10 years ago, I would have, I would have pretended I knew. And I just said to my team, I don't know. I don't, I don't know whether we're going to get through this, but let's work together and let's get some good advice. So, yeah, interesting. Nice flip of a question. No, no, and, it, and it's a, like what an, what an awesome experience and, and lesson, right? You know, I think um, all of us, whether we're running our own business or, or sort of, you know, there's a job title that says we, we are leaders, it's easy to assume that we're supposed to have all the answers but actually the people that um, we mean to lead who are around us um, actually will be able to contribute in ways that you could never have considered if you find a way to, to, to make them, you know, feel like they're part of the opportunity just to, to solve and be successful. It's, um, it's not an easy thing to do for a lot of us, but it's uh, hugely powerful. So, yeah, awesome. Leading is not a thing on your business card for those who have business cards, a title. It's not on the bottom of your email. Leading no. is leading mm. and it is, it's you know, been more challenging. But I think now leaders will grow and learn and develop so much. And if you're yeah. listening to this and going, I'm not there yet, just sort of get support, you know, look mm. after your body and brain. And that's exactly why we put this program together to help mm. business owners you know, with the physical and psychological components of running a business because it's really tough. Yeah. It is tough. And, and if you look after your energy and look after your mindset, it makes a big difference. So, look, I've, thank you. I've, I've loved chatting today. My pleasure. It's been good fun. It's, uh, you know, and because it's really nice to actually have a moment outside of the normal day job trying to, you know, deliver and solve and do the things and just actually have a conversation with someone about stuff that is really valuable and important. So thank you. Hey, it's Andrew again, and we hope you enjoyed that interview. And just a quick note to remember to please go to nab.com.au slash businessfit 
We hope you really liked this episode and received lots of value and we would love it if you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and click on the subscribe button. We'd also really appreciate it if you share it with friends or colleagues you think might also benefit from these messages. And we'd really appreciate if you can rate and review it. We love seeing your messages and love seeing your ratings. Okay, that's it for this time. We look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of NAB Business Fit.